Welcome to Date Night at the Movies. Or How I Spent My Babysitter Money. The sequel. Yes. I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. And this week we're talking Dr. Dr. Sleep. Sleep. We actually have both dogs of the podcast here now. I don't know if y'all can hear them right now, but when I should have been on my A game during the intro, Charlie started shaking and distracted me because I'm like, oh, they're both down here. And this is a really good time of year. Um, this is, it's just a re- when it's getting cold, it's really good to empty our shelters out. So especially if you are looking for the perfect holiday gift, give the gift of a dog, especially a dog that's not a puppy because they often come house trained Yes, and it's a gift that uh, you don't have to train yourself. It's like you get a dog but you also get sleep. Yes. (laughs) Yes. We've had Charlie since he was a teeny, teeny, tiny baby, and that was no sleep. No sleep. But he got potty trained in two weeks. Mm -hmm. But Madison, we got when she was two, and was like ready to go. Yeah. I mean, Madison had her other things we had to train her on. Well, yes, but not all shelter dogs come with like so much baggage. Right. So anyway... Uh, we've got two dogs to podcast. Um, our shelters are full, and we're talking about movies. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, last week we had a bonus episode with a very special guest star. <laughs> yes. Uh, worked really hard to get that one. <laughs> yes. Lots of phone calls. We're, but we're uh, but we're back to normal format this week. Um, I was thinking today mm-hmm. because the year's almost over, and mm-hmm. of course I. Th- I haven't done a full like postmortem on how many episodes we've done, things like that. Uh, I've only seen one movie in the theater that I didn't do an episode on, uh, which was Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, yes. Yeah, because I just went and saw that with uh, Brian and Dash in L.A., and it was just like, yeah, eh, I didn't, didn't have any of my recording stuff with me. I was like, I'm just going to go see a movie. Uh, and I also knew that I wasn't going to have much new to say on it. All I will say, is, though, is that I liked it, but that movie idiot plotted almost the entire way through, and it was driving me crazy. What do you mean by that? So, you know, for those of you who have uh, jumped on pretty recently, uh, I don't know if I, we've talked about the idiot plot in many recent episodes, but the idiot plot is something that I stole from Roger Ebert, which essentially boils down to... Uh, the movie is keeping information from the characters that we already know. So we get to all feel frustrated while they just go about being like, well, I don't know what's going on. And you're screaming at the screen. A prime example of an episode that we did was Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Uh, Because the whole relationship between uh, Newt and whoever Catherine Waterston played, it was just idiot plotted the whole way through. We knew it was just a miscommunication. They didn't. So we got to sit there and watch them figure it all out. Whenever for us, it's just like, just, just talk. Right. So Spider-Man Homecoming did that to me like crazy, just because I had, I out of all the comic book movies that are out there, Spider-Man is the one that I actually read as a kid. Okay. So it tried, spoiler alert for Spider-Man Far From Home, uh, it tried to convince you that uh, Mysterio wasn't a bad guy the whole time, and I'm just sitting here like, no, that's going to be the twist. That's going to be the twist. And lo um, and behold, it was the twist. Well, do you think that were you the intended audience? Because sometimes it's really hard to say. Like, when we went and saw Shazam, to me, we were not the target audience. So knowing that, it helped mm-hmm. me just inherently enjoy it a little bit more. It's hard for me to say that, though, with uh, Marvel movies, at least, Mm -hmm. because uh, the Marvel movies at this point, I believe that was movie 21 or 22. Um, At this point, I don't know who the target audience for them is anymore. Uh, Because, you know, it started off with being like, oh, if you're relatively familiar with the comics or you like superhero movies, no, come see these movies that nobody's really paying attention to. Yeah. And now it's just people who go see them because they're Marvel movies. So I don't know. You may be right. I don't know if the target audience is people who actually read the comic books anymore. Uh, And to be fair, most of the time, that's not me just because I read some, but I was never like a comic book kid. Right. Um, So it's hard for me to say that. I just know that it was frustrating to me. That makes sense. Um, But anyway, where I was going is that uh, I don't know if so far this year we've had Widows. Like, we saw Widows last year. I think it was about this time last year because I think we saw it around my birthday. Okay. Um, And we were both just immediately like, yes, I think this is the best movie we've seen all year. 
Yeah. And I don't think we've had that this year yet. No, not really. Um, no, not really. Because uh, this is so Jordan, his birthday was a couple days ago. Jordan's mm-hmm. birthday is always on Veterans Day. Right. And uh, so we tend to go see movies. So that made sense. Um, so that's why we went and saw Dr. Sleep. Um, yeah, I I guess not. But I feel like, too, um, I was actually just thinking about, like, we might have to start incorporating um, some more more of these, like, Netflix, Amazon Prime, like, mm-hmm. Hulu movies. Well, and we've already talked about doing that with The Irishman, the, the new Martin Scorsese movie that's yeah. coming out. Yeah, so it might, that might be a good transition into, because there's so much, there's so many stories and so much good content out there. Yeah. Then I'm wondering, you know, are they, are is the best being released? That is very true. And of course, you know, it's been the uh, the conversation lately is that, you know, streaming services, Netflix, Hulu, Prime, that's where a lot of like women and people of color are getting their chances to tell their stories. Yeah. Um, you know, and we talk about some of the shows and miniseries that we watch. Like, I don't think I'd want to do an entire episode on... Uh, I don't think I'd want to do an entire episode on Good Omens, even though it's like, no, you all need to see Good Omens. It's amazing. Right. Um, but I think if it's like actual movies, you know, yes. it's when we were kids, there were TV movies and nine times out of 10, they weren't very good. Um, but now t- like the TV movie is no longer really a thing. It's not. And I think it's just, it's another opportunity for people. It's just a really good opportunity. And so I think that's maybe the Irishman will be our transition into doing more things that are easily accessible. And one thing that I really found that we don't really get to do as much as when we were living full time in Los Angeles is the amount of not mainstream movies that we went and got and saw. Yeah. That's one thing that's kind of bummed me out about Atlanta so far is that like, for example, the Irishman is playing in Los Angeles right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I was surprised that whenever we went to, when we went and saw Zombieland, we were kind of at the movie theater. It's like, okay, I guess we got to go to this one. Like, it's definitely not our favorite. Yeah. And they were playing Jojo Rabbit there. Uh, and I was so surprised because that's not a very mainstream movie. Right. Um, but yeah, we we tend to miss out on a lot of those. So like the movies that we end up seeing, you know, and of course we've also looked at the feedback that we get in terms of like which episodes are being streamed and downloaded more often. And, you know, again, superhero movies and big blockbusters, like those are ones that it seems like a lot of people go do. So we kind of structure a lot of the show around that. But you're you're definitely right. And it we don't get the opportunity to go get the theater experience as much as we did in LA. Yeah. Um and also too our like our tr- our life has just really transformed and I think we both um when we lived in Los Angeles we were on the road a lot but I mean gosh you've been to LA every other month this entire year. <laughs> I think I've been I've had extended trips in LA four different times this year. Yeah. And so but it's not like we're there on a Tuesday night. Right. Um and it's and you know, the blessing of being in this industry for a decade is that we get busy. And so I think that's something that um, I think that's for our listeners, something that I think we're really leaning towards transitioning because our date night, too, is is evolving. Yeah, we I mean, it used to be. Of course, I say this and it's like going to see movies has never just been cheap. No. Uh, but it used to be we used to go to date nights to go see movies because, A, we both love movies. We didn't get a chance to watch them that often. But, B, it's because it's like, oh, that's something that's affordable for us. But now, especially that we're doing the podcast, we do find ourselves being like, can we do like a, non-date, a non-movie date night sometime? Right. Uh, so that's, un- I mean, uh, maybe this is just our extended way of explaining to people why in 2019 we haven't been as consistent as we were last year. Maybe. But I also think, too, I mean, things just have changed. I mean, mm-hmm. I think too in relationships you I mean, because we travel so much because we do work, a lot of times I would rather sit at a table and talk to you. You get out of here with that nonsense. And yes, and even though we're sitting here and talking now, um we are in a studio and we're, you know, 5 feet apart. 
and it's not like just talking about movies. So um, while I still think we love doing this, I you know it's so interesting to be recording something as life is actively changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, we are definitely having to like find time to do this. Like we woke up this morning and was like, okay, well, if we go to the gym by this time, that gives us enough time to get back, clean up, get something to eat, and then go straight back out and see the movie. Right. Because again, the three hour ordeal, I say ordeal in quotes, but that it is to go see a movie, you also put a couple hours on top of that for us to record these. So it's like, we have to schedule these out now. Yeah. I will say, so in LA, our date night used to be so we were we had season passes to the Universal Studios in North Hollywood or mm-hmm. in Universal City. Yeah. And um, we would and also uh, trick if you want five dollar parking um, at Universal, mm-hmm. go see a movie at the AMC. Exactly. You get you get a discount on parking just for going to see the movie. Yeah. So but we would usually get like the gold passes so that way we could um we could always park there no matter what because there was really good restaurants. Mm-hmm. When we first moved to LA for the first several years, we would go to Saddle Ranch at Universal City. Yep. And our this was our order, y'all. So take it and go get it. Yes. We would share an order of chicken fingers with their barbecue sauce, mm-hmm. which is made in-house. Yeah. And Black truffle mac and cheese. Oh, yeah. It, it's amazing. I miss that. It's we, so good. Uh, yeah, Saddle Ranch looks really touristy. It but is. It is, but it's still worth going to. Yes. Um, we, I've had Hollywood business meetings at that place. Like, yeah. Come on. <laughs> and, and the one on the, sunset, on the Sunset Strip, too. I turned 21 in that bar. Yes, you did. Sure did. Um, yeah. Uh, then we started going to Carl Strauss, which is, again, another chain, but like, it's so you, good. Remember that whiskey beer they had? Yeah. That was amazing. It's so good. I don't think we ever got the same thing there. No, I don't think so either. Um, but their food there is outrageously y- good. Yeah, it, it's it's like, I'm not sure if I would call it a gourmet burger, but it is definitely a step up but burger. But one thing I will say is, us telling you about Carl Strauss, y'all, you have to go upstairs mm-hmm. at, at Universal City. And it's not very... We went. We started going there because we got a little bit older, and the crappy service at Saddle Ranch wasn't cutting it anymore. Yeah, and we because we always sat would sit at the bar at Saddle Ranch, but and if you got a great bartender, some of the bartenders were so great there, but um, Carl Strauss was like, I mean, consistently great service, good food. The, the guy who we know who runs it or was a manager when we moved. He, he kind of was our accidental regular waiter. Yeah. And then like we've been going there enough and then he got to be like, yeah, they're actually training me to be assistant manager. And then the last time I went there, uh, which was about a year and a half ago, I guess, uh, he was like, yeah, this is actually just my store now. I love it. Yeah. So cool. Um, I know we have... We've got to, we both are going to be in LA here um, soon, so yeah, we'll have to go. But we would go that, so we would do those things, and we would go see a movie, um, and that was our date night for years. Yeah, and we were doing it pretty consistently, like once a week too. No, I w- never once a week. We would go a couple times a month for sure. Mm-hmm. We never went once a week. I would say we went between we went two or three times a month. Two or three times a month is fair, but. I would say on average was two times a right, month. You know what I'm thinking of? We ended up averaging about four times a month because sometimes we would also go to the cheap theater, which it doesn't include a $40 dinner. No. The cheap theater in North Hollywood, you've heard us talk about it a lot. That was less of a date night. That was like, you want to go see a movie? Yeah. Because <laughs> it was literally a mile from our house. We could have walked there if we wanted to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, and it was $3 tickets. It was great. Yeah. It was great. Um, so, so I think we need to start talking about this movie. Um, do we have any other housekeeping things? Um, well, we didn't have um, a date tonight, except we went to see a movie. Um, but uh, I'm making spaghetti pie. Yeah, you are. <laughs> um, today in film history. Yes. Um, these two are actually pretty cool. Um, 
1937, NBC forms first full-size symphony orchestra exclusively for radio. That's pretty rad. I think that's cool. 1940, Fantasia, animated by animated film by Walt Disney, starring Leopold Stokowski and Deems Taylor, is released. Well, all right. Back when Disney was releasing such magical racism. I went, went, went. Um... Fantasia is great though. You take the you take the racist caricature out of there, and it's a great movie. Yeah, especially when drugs are involved. Oh yeah, Uh, it's Whoopi Goldberg's birthday and Jimmy Kimmel's birthday. Well, there we go. There you go. There we go. There you go. It was Leonardo DiCaprio's birthday the other day, and I know that because he and I share a birthday. Ta-da! There we go. And happy birthday to Jordan. Well, and if you follow us on our personal social medias, we did some stuffs, um, but we. Yeah. Well, thank you. All right, so let's start talking about this movie. Um, how do you want to rate it? Hmm. And axes. Axes. That's a good classic. Uh, you go first. Um, I'm going to give this a four and a quarter. I'm, I was going to give it a four and a half. Really? Yeah. Um, I would give it a four and a quarter. Um, this is a movie that it's a sequel. To a movie that I don't like. <laughs> right. You like, the, you like the book and you like the miniseries, but you don't like the Kubrick. No. But if you've been listening to us for any amount of time, you would know I am not a Kubrick fan. Kubrick fan. Kubrick. Kubrick fan. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So um, I'm, I'm just not. Um, and that's not to say that I don't um, really a- appreciate who he is as a filmmaker. I'm just not. It's not my thing. Right. Not my thing. Um, you, you do like Dr. Strangelove, though. You were the one who introduced Dr. Strangelove to me. Strangelove? hmm Yeah. But, but you know what's something about Dr. Strangelove is it doesn't feel like one of his traditional movies. It's so on the nose. It feels more like Gene Wilder should yeah. have been I in mean, it. I mean, it's a borderline Mel Brooks movie. It it is a Mel Brooks movie. <laughs> like, I don't know if I knew that it wasn't Mel Brooks for years, yeah. to be completely honest. Um, I obviously know that now, but Strange Love is very good. But this movie, you don't have to have seen the first one. Yeah, they, they, do a, they do a pretty good job of letting you figure things out as you go. I think it definitely works better if you've seen the first one or if you're familiar with the story, especially whenever they come to some of the quick flashbacks. Yeah. Uh, but um, but anyway, yeah. So, what are some of your other thoughts on it? Well, I thought it I thought it had a good tempo to it. Um, I really loved a lot of the casting choices. Um, I mean, it just felt like really it. It's kind of like what I liked about Zombieland. This happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Um, and it didn't need twists and turns. It was a story that unfolded. Right. And I really appreciate that. And there was the the magic was really clear, mm-hmm. like how they how they decided to do all of that. And um, you know, Mike Flanagan is masterful. He he is going to be. I I think he is eventually going to be recognized. Like people are going to start talking about him the way that they do Nolan. Yeah. You know, I think he has a much, he has a steeper hill to climb just because he does do horror. But I, I think that he is one of the best filmmakers working right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. I really like his work. Um, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's just a lot of good. Um, was his wife in this movie? You know, I was looking that up and I don't think I found anything, but let me see if I can find it. Because she's in, um. She's in everything. She's in everything. She's in Hill House. Yes. She was the lead in Hush. Yes. Hush, Hush was such a great movie. Hush is a great movie. Let's, real quick, I want to just give an example of how great, and I'm not using hyperbole, how great Mike Flanagan is. Um, Blumhouse released the Ouija board movie. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was derided. I think... Well, I'm going to use Rotten Tomatoes as an example on this, even though we all know that doesn't really mean as much. But the original Ouija board movie got 9% positive on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. Mike Flanagan comes in and directs the sequel, gets 82%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mike Flanagan was like, yeah, I'm going to do a sequel to the Ouija board movie and turned it into a 
great horror movie. Yeah. No, I think he's re- I think it, it's it was very masterful and um you know, Stephen King films are notoriously flop-worthy mm-hmm. and this definitely didn't fall into that. By the way, she wasn't. What? She she wasn't in this movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um but yeah, I just thought it was it was really great. I've not read the book. Um and so I and I knew nothing about it. Um, a lot of my friends worked on it, um, but I did not. So I had no inkling at mm-hmm. all what to what was to come or what to expect. Um, it was stunt coordinated by Chuck Borden, who also did Haunting of Hill House, did Hush, mm-hmm. um, and th- has this this team of filmmakers too. By the time they've gotten to this movie, has they have all worked on a lot together. So it's one of those awesome. It's. It's kind of like where we are right now in our careers in the sense that we're starting to work with this uh, with certain filmmakers and yeah. certain filmmakers are starting to call consistently. Mm-hmm. And that's this is a team that's been working together since nothing. Right. And it's very clean the the CGI in this was really good and clean, but I think my favorite part was how clear cut the magic was yeah when you watch the original shining it's not clear that there's it just seems like something sinister is happening right just evil just Mm -hmm. sinister and evil um and this really because stephen king is never that cut and dry no ever that cut and dry no um you don't really understand that danny is special Mm -hmm. you just think that that this family's in a really terrible situation Mm -hmm. But Stephen King doesn't write that way. Yeah. He just doesn't. He Nothing is horror for the sake of being horror. Right. And this movie, kind of like we talked about with It, I wouldn't really consider it to be a horror movie. Mm-mm. No, not remotely. No. Um, f- fear and the fact that there's evil versus, and magic, because it's not ever good versus evil in Stephen King. There is evil that exists mm-hmm. in Stephen King's um stories but the essence of just good things are good but they're but i would say there's magic and then there's evil yeah and this movie did a really brilliant job of capturing that absolutely um yeah i i really liked it i thought uh i thought it was paced perfectly Mm -hmm. um because i mean i was aware that it was two and a half hours long but i didn't care yeah, I um, mean, we both. I got up three times in this movie, yeah. so I was aware that it was long. <laughs> but like, I didn't. I didn't wish it was any shorter. I thought, just from a story perspective, I thought it was. I it never felt like it was too long. I agree with you on that. Um, I liked how it was able to simultaneously take its time and like not tarry too. Yeah, you know, it definitely got where it needed to go in the right amount of time. Yes. Um, it was very different from the book. So I still got to be surprised in it. Yeah. Uh, you know, there were parts of the music that I really liked. Overall, this wasn't one of my favorite scores. Um, well, I would say it's a lot more sound design than score. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, I want to finish giving my overview first, but um, I thought it was cast perfectly, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, every single cast member in here. Uh, I, I love Cliff Curtis. Cliff Curtis, to me, I like in the way that I like Brian Tyree Henry, which is just like, he's in this. I Good. Good. Yeah. This is going to be good. Uh, and I like the fact that he got to play somebody who wasn't written to be ethnic, too. Yeah. Because that's, you know, Cliff Curtis shows up as a, as a Latino gang member. He shows up, I mean, he's actually Maori, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so he, they have him play Latino, they have him play Indian, they have him play uh, Cuban, they have him play just a bunch of different things. And it was nice to just get him to see, to have him be a character. Yeah. Um, Ewan McGregor, it was perfect, I think. He was perfect. And I was so grateful because considering that we were... <laughs> Madison just put her head in a bunch of grocery bags. Yeah, my studio's kind of in disarray and Madison's enjoying exploring right now. <laughs> Um, what was I going to say? Uh, because you were so relieved that Ewan McGregor was as good oh, as he was. Yes, because we really hated um, the Winnie the Pooh movie. I don't think we ever... I didn't end up ever hating that movie, but I do remember wishing that he was better in it. And But, like, 
I I'm never like, how who wishes Ewan McGregor was ever better. Yeah, I mean he's always the best thing, best part about whatever he's in. Yeah, so it's was felt very sacrilegious. <laughs> um, By but, the way, they are giving him his Obi Wan TV series. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they they had taken it off the docket after Solo, uh, quote unquote, flopped. Um, Which is so bizarre. Yeah, it didn't flop. Yeah, we can talk about Solo a lot. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they're, so they t- were going to do an Obi-Wan movie and apparently they'd been talking to him for a while about it, but he, uh, but he was supposed to tell, lie to everybody and say that, oh, well, nobody's talked to me about it yet. And then they took the movie off the block. And now that Disney plus just came out like yesterday, uh, they're going to do, give him an Obi-Wan TV series and he is going to be Obi-Wan. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We're still not on the Disney plus train yet, but give us some time. Give us time. Good Lord. Like all these services. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, of 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 them, Disney Plus seems like a very good deal. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. And the fact, too, that for so many years that they've put things in the vault. Um, great. We took away the vault. Yeah. The vault <laughs> is no longer a thing. Stop gatekeeping us, Disney. I know. Um, but anyway, yeah, I just I just love this movie. It was perfectly directed. It was perfectly paced. Um the, it was just cast perfectly. The callbacks that they did to the original Shining, I thought they handled very tastefully. Yeah. This was one of the most tasteful sequels I've ever seen, I think. Yeah, it was very good. Um, and then who who they cast in the spoiler roles as well. Um, yeah. I, it, was just, it was just great. It was also what I liked about this too, so if, if I compare it to it a little bit, mm-hmm. this is a movie that I, you know, I had mentioned like, hey, maybe we should go see the... The original Shining, the movie movie, not mm-hmm. the TV uh, mini limited series. Yeah. Uh, flat out, don't have time. Right. Just flat out, that's not going to happen. We barely watch the TV shows that we do watch. Mm-hmm. Um, like John Oliver is life. Um, <laughs> like that's like pretty much it. Yeah. Right. That's so that is at, as consistent. Yeah. Um, and and that's that's if it's on that week. And right. It, when I, when we went and saw the sequel, I remember being frustrated because I didn't get to go watch the other five hour movie, um, beforehand. And I was lost. It took me half the movie to remember who the crap everybody was now that they're adults and how, who remember who was supposed to be whom, right? And Mm -hmm. I lost and confused and it's so different from the book, so wasn't sure and this did it helped me as an audience member to stay in there it it reminded me of things it it only it did me good to know the general outline of the original yeah we went over some stuff a little bit and there were only a little there were only a couple places where like i felt you were genuinely lost yeah Or, or really only one because you could never remember who dick halloran was oh that's fair yeah no yeah but other than that, well, that's just because he kept calling him by a different name, and then I just called him by the name. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't that confused. I knew who that was. Yeah. I kept telling you, that's the cook. Mm-hmm. That's the cook. And you're like, but that's a different name. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Um, <laughs> you're fine. I am fine. Um, yeah, so so I guess we're just in the midst of it. Uh, let's talk about some of the stunt work. And yeah. I, I think a lot of the stunt work kind of blends in with our thoughts on the CGI, too, because I thought that a lot of the physical work and the CGI uh, work together hand in hand in a really good way in this movie. Yeah. And knowing so Chuck Borden's the stunt coordinator and um, he also runs a uh, a stunt school for you, the youth um, over in Europe. Mm-hmm. He lives in northern I Gosh, I think Chuck lives in Sweden, but I don't remember off the top of my head, so please forgive me if I'm wrong. Um, but he's an American, and um, if you, uh, I was present for some of the wire work in Hill House, and um, I didn't perform in it, but I was there, and it, it's very savvy and simple rigging. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of very savvy and simple rigging in here that was added into CGI that I thought was really beautifully done mm-hmm. i think my favorite um sequence though is when rose is in the bedroom and she gets tossed back into reality yeah um and she falls off the um 
RV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I mean, honestly, that whole sequence from the moment where she kind of goes into like the astral plane. Yeah. The, literally the entire sequence from start to finish, I thought was just masterfully done. I agree. And, but the, I think the part that you specifically mentioned where like she's flying back and it's, you know, kind of animated CG and stuff. And then it turns into a seamless shot of a real person falling off the top of the RV. And it was one of the first, for me, it was the first moment that I realized that they were mortal. Mm. Like really, because yeah. that looked like it hurt. Yeah. And it was such a big fall. And for what it's worth, that's a that was a stunt woman getting tossed off an RV. Yeah. Oh, a thousand percent. That she just got chucked off that that RV. And what I love about that is it was just one. It you know it's a friendly reminder of the storytelling power of stunt work. Um, a lot of and also what was so different. Uh, uh, the magic um, wire work was really slow and floaty and really lovely and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and those moments of like heart, hard hitting, um, the falling off the RV, the explosion at the grocery store mm-hmm. was just really masterfully and specific. And it wasn't overkill. Yeah. But it was so great. Yeah. I mean, again, just like everything else, I think, in this movie. It happened exactly as it should have happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I thought the physical work in this was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was creepy when it needed to be creepy. I thought it was exciting when it needed to be exciting. And none of it felt like movie to me. It felt like I was just watching a story. Yeah, I could see that. Um, and the other CG areas, uh, I lo- I thought the effects whenever the, whenever the True Knot members were dying... Oh, yeah. I thought that was great, and it was creepy, and it was unsettling. Yeah. Um, the sound design during those moments were great too, because there were there was a lot going on in the sound design. Uh, yes, it was super dense, but not oppressive. Like when I'm working, especially on horror sound design, I tend to make things really dense, and sometimes I wish I could thin it out a little bit, but still have as much going on. Yeah. Um, but in that, like there were there were backwards recorded vocals. Uh, there were just different things that like whispers and stuff that were going on. And then there was all the manipulation in their voices on top of that blending in with the CG blending in with the really solid performances too. Um, I mean, it, it bums me out that this movie isn't getting as much recognition as it should just because it's not making as much money as they hoped. Yeah. But it's so crazy. Like it just got out. I can't like, this is something like if you're listening to this podcast and it's in 2022, the us being like, I can't like, I can't believe we judge flip or flop in a, in a film in the first weekend. That's still new in yeah. our, in our movie culture. Well, I mean, it, movies don't really get a chance to find their audience as much anymore. Uh, we just rewatched my big fat Greek wedding and For that the was, second time this year. Yeah. That, We're in a 90s kick. It's pretty great. Yeah, we are. That movie, I think it ended up making something like 125, 130 million at the box office by never hitting the number one spot. Right. Titanic was out, out for a month before people really started to go and see it. Well, yeah. You know, it had to gain its traction. And it's just a shame that we don't get that now. Uh, one thing they're talking about is that uh, they. This movie knows that it's not a movie that's marketed to younger people. And, and the, you know, I'm fine with that. But they had these expectations of being like, you know, oh, well, it's going to be do- doing just as good as it did. And it's like, well, no, it has a clown that you can advertise. Scary clowns are scary, and that makes people who like horror movies want to go see it. Um, yeah. Whereas this is a movie where... I think what a lot of they were banking on is like, oh, but people love The Shining. And I think they're realizing, oh, oh, it's hard to market to just the boomer crowd now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And because the boomers aren't going to see movies. Right. They just aren't. Yeah. And we are. And we're not boomers. No, but I know that. But that's my point. <laughs> I think I more just wanted to say it out loud. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, we, we are... And I, you know, and I also, too, they realize they don't have the marketing power of Jack Nicholson. Right. They, There's they, Johnny. Yeah. They, 
undermarketed this movie too. I think they were just planning on the word of mouth being just crazy good. And I mean, this isn't a cha- like a movie that I think is a challenging movie to watch. But it's not like going to see a Fast and the Furious movie where it's like, well, I'm going to have a good time either way. It's like, no, you have to... This is a movie that is designed for people that like these movies. Well, even seeing Zombieland. Yeah. Like, I was thinking about, like, quote, criticism of Zombieland. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, the moment in the tower of Zombieland, the the climax, like, are our heroes going to make it Mm -hmm. moment, was so short. Yeah. Right? You never really felt they were in danger. Right? Right? That it's another movie that there's no stakes. Mm-hmm. There's no what. There's nothing to lose. We we know that as an audience. Yeah, it's an, like it's an easy watch. We know that. Yeah, easy watch. Um, and things like th- these movies. And it's Stephen King. And as soon as you put Stephen King on a, on a on a placard, people know it's going to be major hit or miss. Right. Like it just is. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, Stephen King movies don't have the greatest track record. Like. The hit to miss ratio is pretty split, if not closer to miss than hit, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, and I say that as a diehard Stephen King fan. You know, I read this I read this book before I knew they were going to make a movie of it. A lot of times, you know, I'll read the book whenever I know the movie's coming out. This one, I was just like, oh man, it's finally in paperback. I can read it. Right. Um, well, you are a true... True Stephen King fan. Yeah, no, uh, when I was on the road with my dad, uh, and this was before smartphones and stuff where you could just read anything on your phone, I would literally, before I'd leave for the weekend, and our weekends would be, you know, anywhere between, it'd be four or five days sometimes, uh, I'd go to Barnes & Noble and I'd get just a stack of books, usually Stephen King because they were easy reads for me, and I'd have them all read by the end of the weekend. Yeah. Um, But no. Uh, after the break, I want to talk about some of the differences between this and the, and the book because, yeah. and I want to talk about the behind the scenes reasons for that too. Totally. Um, well, let's talk about music. Let's take a break and then let's dive right into that. Let's do it. So music. Plinky um, plunky. It was fine. Yeah. I wish it had taken more risks and I wish that there, I wish that they had, uh, I wish that they had given themselves the opportunity to write more traditional music in some places. Um, I don't, I disagree. Yeah? Yeah, in the sense that this movie had so much going on and there was a lot to think about. Um, and the the performances in and of themselves were really clear. That uh, there was a lot of moments where I didn't feel like I needed the music to tell me how to feel. Well, but I don't think it's, I don't think my criticism is, in a way of like, you know, I wish it had told me how to feel more. It's just, I wish that there was more than just the stock horror sounds and the heartbeat sound that would not stop. Oh, I see. Um, I thought that the heartbeat effect was overused. I could see why they did it the way that they did and like what it was trying to, what it was trying to accomplish. And overall it did. I, I don't dislike the score. It's just not my favorite. That's um, also, because whenever there was more, there were more musical moments. And you know me, I love like good synth horror and like you know classic like like atonal horror music. But the stuff that they were doing, it just felt like it's like oh yeah, that's that's what would happen here. Like none of none of it surprised me. Mm-hmm. And with as really with as crazy as this story is, I think that they could have, I think that they could have gotten a little braver in a few places. Um, there were there was also one place in particular where I thought the music was very much not used appropriately. Where and was that? That's when he first uh, shows up into uh, the town of New Hampshire that he lives in, um, and then the music is really like eerie and really like something's going wrong here, and it's just him in a new town looking around getting his bearings. But like the way that the music was used made it seem like the teeny town, like there was something sinister about it. That's true. And I, there really was nothing at all. Yeah, there there was no need for the music to be that sinister sounding. Yeah. Um, and especially with as good as silence was utilized in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's walking through the overlook at the end, which is that's not a spoiler, that's in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's silent. You just hear the wind. Uh, the last scene in the movie. I'm so glad they didn't have music in there because mm-hmm. I, I just, it allowed you to marinate in the moment. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so, I mean, again, I like the score. This was done by the Newton brothers, who have worked on pretty much everything Mike Flanagan has done. Mm-hmm. They did Haunting of Hill House, uh, which I really like the music for that. Yeah. They did the music for Hush, which I thought was great. Uh, they've done it for Ouija. They did it for Gerald's Game, everything like that. And, like, there are moments of, like, true beauty that happen in Haunting of Hill House. Yeah. And there were a couple of moments in here where there was, like, I think there was, like, one beautiful cue. I can't remember where it was. But... I wish that there I wish that there was more room for moments like that because again like you said the acting was so strong and the direction was so strong that we didn't need to be told something sinister is happening the whole time and I just kind of felt that the score itself was a little one note and it disappointed me. I can see that. Yeah. Um all right. Well, I think that's everything non-spoilery I had to talk about. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we go into it? No, I don't think so. All right. Well, buckle in and we'll be right back. Have you ever looked at all those Insta celebrities and been like, where do you get your raw jewelry because it's gorgeous? Or where did you get that female empowerment shirt because I need one? But then you think to yourself, I don't want to go shopping because it's too selfish. What if I could tell you you could get awesome apparel, awesome jewelry, and it gives back? You need to check out Rock's Jewelry Shop. That's right, Rock's. R-O-X. Rock's Jewelry Shop has amazing jewelry, and I just got a shirt that says, those females are strong as hell. Thank you, Kimmy Schmidt. You can check out Rock's Jewelry Shop online, and with code DATENIGHT, you'll get 15% off. So head on over to Rock's, R-O-X, Jewelry Shop.com, code DATENIGHT for 15% off. And we are back talking spoilers for Dr. Sleep. So uh, I want to kind of get into just some of the differences in the book uh, from this. And I'm not going to I'm going to try and not go too deep into it because this is all information that you can find out there. Uh, One other thing I wanted to say about the casting, though, is that pretty much everybody in this movie is how I pictured them whenever I read the book. Really? Yeah. Oh, I love when that happens. Yeah. Like uh, Rebecca Ferguson is Rose the Hat. Is pretty much exactly as I as I pictured her. Now, what was going on with her accent? That is the one thing. She was kind of Irish sometimes and kind of Irish some not. She other was times. Irish, British, and English and American. Yeah. At any given moment, it was really weird. My, the way I'm going to justify that <laughs> is by saying that because they're all older than they appear. Um, is that she's been in America for so long that her accent is kind of coming and going. Like, she she was... A, I think my backstory for her is that she was originally Irish, and then at some point uh, she's living forever and she moved to America. And it's, so her accent is kind of fading, but sometimes coming back. I think at the end of the day, it just wasn't a consistent choice. So, I just, I just, go, I just Googled her. Mm-hmm. Um, she... Is English Swedish. Gotcha. So maybe that's it. Maybe, yeah. Um, I, I'm willing to forgive that though because she was so good every other, in every other aspect. I mean, she's she was great. Yeah. I just there was sometimes I was like, what the crap? Yeah. But that just might be how she talks. It could be. Um, but yeah, uh, I love that they had. Uh, I can't remember his name now, but the actor who played Crow. Uh, he was in Fargo season two. Yes. And he's great. Yeah. And again, that's pretty much exactly how I pictured him too. And then uh, Carl Strucken, I, I can't pronounce that properly, but the giant man from like Twin Peaks and uh, Men in Black. He was great. Yeah. I mean, they every, everybody was. I can't remember in the book if Abra was mixed race because I don't think it really matters, but I like the fact that they gave some representation to that. Yeah, I agree. Um, And then I loved... I loved the guy playing her dad. And mm. her mom was great. She didn't have as big of a part here as she did in the book, but the actress playing her was great yeah. too. We'll dive right in. Okay. So big thing is that uh Mike Flanagan had a conversation with Stephen King that basically said, Listen, even though you love the miniseries version of The Shining better because it's closer to your book, more people are going to connect with the Stanley Kubrick one because more people have seen that. So I have to make a sequel to this. So he went through and he basically tried to connect the book, the Kubrick, and the miniseries one all together. Um, so the big, the big thing is that the ending of The Shining, the book, slash miniseries, and the Kubrick version are very different. Yes. For one thing, Dick Halloran doesn't die at the end of the book. 
Uh, and from here on, if I say the book, just assume that I'm meaning the miniseries as well. Uh, Dick Halloran doesn't die in the book, and uh, at the end of the at the end of the book, the Overlook blows up. Uh, right. Jack takes control over himself and then allows the allows the boiler to blow up. Right. So obviously that immediately sets mood different for Doctor Sleep. So in the book, Danny's still being attacked by these ghosts, and then uh, his mom. In Doctor Sleep. Yeah. Okay. His mom, Wendy, actually gets Dick Halloran down there to be like, can you help him? I don't know what to do. And he's he still shows him how to do like the lockboxes. Obviously here, Dick Halloran's dead at the end of the Kubrick. So uh, I like the way they handled that and had him kind of be like a specter. Um, yeah. As like a spirit guide. Uh, I will say that because I've seen the miniseries version more than I have the Kubrick, I was expecting uh, I was expecting Wendy to look like Rebecca De Mornay. Yeah. Uh, so it was a little off-putting where it's like, well, olive oil. But of course, that's how Stanley Kubrick unfortunately made Shelley Long look in that movie. I know. Um, but uh, but yeah. So because of that, it actually set the story on an interesting path. There were certain things that they didn't put in that. I felt they could have, and certain things that they didn't really make a big deal. But overall, I like the changes that they made. Uh, one of the, before, even before we get to the ending, one of the big ones is so uh, Bradley Trevor, who was played by uh, Jacob Tremblay. Um, apparently, the first take that they did of his death was so intense that Rebecca Ferguson couldn't even get her lines out. And then after they finished, he like just sprung up, all covered in fake blood, high fived his dad, and went to craft services. And everybody else is just like, well, I, I have to reset myself here. Wow. Um, that but, was hard to watch. Yeah, it, it really was. Um, but I like how they didn't make it feel exploitive. Yeah. Um, but in the book, he had measles. And so whenever they absorb his steam, they all contract measles. And that's what's making them all die. It's not the fact that, like, you know, there's not enough steam in the world going around. It's the fact that they got steam from a boy with measles and it gave them all measles. And so they were hunting Abra like crazy because they were like, well, she's the most powerful thing we've ever felt. If anything can save us, she can. This one was made a better movie. I think so, too. Um, I, I think so, too. I, I wasn't... I kept expecting that to happen as a plot point, but it didn't bother me that it didn't. It's a better movie mm-hmm. that they are having a hard time finding steam. Yeah. It is in much interest. The stakes, measles gives immediate stakes in the book. Yeah. Like they're all sick. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, a big thing, so I'll get into some things before this, but of course, Dan Torrance dies at the end of this book, or at the end of the movie, and he doesn't in the book. Really? Yeah. So, um, well, I guess someone had to destroy the Overlook. Well, that's the thing, and that's really where it sets it off to where like this all made sense because the ending of this movie, where he's t- possessed by the hotel, and then he finds Abra, and he's about to kill her, and then she's just like she basically says, but he, but Dan remembered uh, to make a stop at the boiler room first. That is almost exactly what happens at the end of the book, The Shining. Yes. Um, so I liked how they incorporated that in there and they still use some of those same lines. Uh, but yeah, he sacrifices himself to burn down the Overlook. So in Dr. Sleep, the novel, uh, the Overlook is already burned down. Right. And essentially it's a campground that the True Knot owns. And so uh, they still ambush, uh, Dan still ambushes um the true knot and kills most of them and but their final confrontation uh is at the former side of the overlook and the only thing left is just like essentially a wooden platform everything else is like essentially like a koa type place you know mm-hmm. um and so that's where they that's where they have their uh final confrontation uh jack torrance comes back as a ghost and actually helps uh he doesn't have any lines but you know it's him uh and then uh, Snakebite Andy is actually there for the end of it as well, uh, which uh, I can't remember how they killed Rose the Hat, but Snakebite Andy was running away and she like goes into some kind of like shed or something like that. And Dan had already set one of the ghosts uh, from his lockbox in there. So she goes in there and then she's just grabbed and then is killed. Okay. So the way that they incorporated that into this movie, I thought was pretty great too. Yeah. Uh, where he still ambushes Rose. Um, but, um, yeah, so with that 
alternate path that they had to set on. I thought they handled everything really well, and I thought that they, uh, I thought they still kept the spirit of the book, and I liked all the callbacks with the movies. Um, the scene with him and Jack slash the bartender, that's definitely unique to the movie. Yeah. Um, but they had Henry Thomas play him, who did a pretty decent Jack Nicholson. Yeah. And it's kind of like the. It's kind of like the guy playing Dick Halloran, uh, the woman playing Wendy, the little kid playing Dan- young Danny. Um, it looks different, but not enough to where it's just really, it really bothers you, you yeah. know? Uh, and then the flashbacks that they had where they had them play uh, play out scenes from the original movie. Uh, I thought they did a really good job with that. Mm-hmm. But the big thing is, is that at the end of the book, uh, Dan goes back, so he... There's another big thing in the book that they didn't do, which is uh, Abra. Dan is actually Abra's uncle. Oh, and and oh, actually, yeah. So in the book, The Shining, the whole reason that he goes to be the winter caretaker is that he gets fired from uh, his teaching job, and then his AA sponsor is just like, "Listen, I know this hotel. Uh, they're interviewing for caretakers. Go do that." Um, but in the book, it's revealed that he had an affair with uh, Abra's grandmother. And so, uh, and then Abra's mother is his daughter. And so Abra's mother and Dan are half siblings, which would make Dan Abra's actual uncle. So at the end of the book, he goes to visit Abra when she's just turned like 15 or something like that. And, uh, like she'd just gotten in a fight in school. And so he's warning her essentially, you know, your grandfather left me with a lot of anger and I spent a long time, uh, I spent a long time dealing with that. I don't want to see you go down that path. And then he goes back to work in the hospice and there was a, there was somebody who lived in the New Hampshire town that he settled in who was kind of antagonizing him. And then this guy was dying and he goes to comfort him as he dies. And that's the last thing that happens in the book. So that, the main thing where that kind of separates me from the movie experience in the book is that, in the movie, because you only ever see him work in the hospice a couple of times, uh, and then they just mention Dr. Sleep, the movie doesn't feel like it should be titled Dr. Sleep, because at the in the book, Dr. Sleep is who he becomes once he finally puts all of that behind him. And, it's like and he, he can help people. Yeah, he returns to that, and he's going to stay there and keep helping people. Whereas this, Dr. Sleep wasn't as much of a theme, you know? Yeah. Or like, it wasn't as much of a through line, I guess, is what I was trying to say. It, yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah, I totally see that. Yeah. Especially because sleep was really snaked by Andy's thing. Exactly. Um, I also don't think that Billy died in the book. Um, Charlie's up there <laughs> being all Charlie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think Billy died in the book. Um, that was really, that was a moment though. Yeah, I, I had a hard time with that one. Especially, I mean, A, because I love Cliff Curtis, but B, because it was like, no, just just No. And then also Abra's dad didn't die in the book either. Okay. Yeah. So it's what it feels like just knowing all these, because I have not read the novel. Um, it really feels like this movie wanted to be, have a lot of finality to it. Yeah. It, to me, it definitely felt like it wanted to be a standalone thing. A standalone thing, but also to close the chapter. Yeah. To- totally. Um, I think you're, I think you're exactly right with that. Um, I think also the choices that they made that were different um, I think that it added a level of stakes in there. And, you know, we're always talking about stakes and earned moments. And, you know, whenever they killed Abra's dad, I was like, man, I don't know where this thing's going to go now. Yeah. Um, it felt, I really felt dangerous. Yeah, it did. It really felt very dangerous. Um, and I do fully agree that maybe Dr. Sleep was maybe not an earned title uh, for the movie in and of itself. Yeah. Other than that's what the novel is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I titled. don't think they should have named it anything else because what else were they going to do? The Shining 2, even Shininger. Right. Um, what did you feel and what was the difference about um, the callback um, slash the parallel when Abra notices the woman in the bathtub, the room, the woman from 237. Oh, and I, we know that she's creating boxes, right? I, we know it. I loved that. I did too. And, and that's the scene I was talking about before the break where uh, they didn't play any music and they just let it be silent, let it marinate in the moment. And because they didn't go into like some heroic theme or something like that, which is, again is where my initial... As a composer, that's what my initial uh, thought would have been. Oh, well, now let's like music come up here because she's really in like coming into herself. 
And the fact that they just let that be silent and they let that be like, okay, she's got this. I thought it was such a good moment. Well, it was silent when Danny did it. Yeah. I, I just thought it was such a good moment. And I, I loved that callback. Yeah, it was great. Um, I really, I loved, I really loved all the sequences where you see how their minds are filed away. Mm-hmm. Like Abra's is literally filing cabinets. Well, that's and, actually a callback to another Stephen King novel. Which one? Dreamcatcher. Okay. Which is one of his worst ones. Oh, okay. Uh, it's the one he wrote whenever he was, uh, whenever he was on Vicodin after his car crash. Oh, womp womp. Yeah. Um, <laughs> How did this get made? Did a great episode on Dreamcatcher the movie, but that that was a thing. It was like a memory warehouse. So I'm assuming that they did that as a knowing callback to that. Well, I, it was handled better here than it ever was in Dreamcatcher. Totally. I can see. I totally. But I really loved how everybody's was really unique and yeah. and. Um, again, this is just another way that I think the magic was really crystal clear. Like it wasn't woobly, woobly, woobly kind of magic. It was just really clear what the magic was. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, of course, it's you can do that a little easier if you have source material to go by. But this book is a pretty bananas book, especially if you're expecting it to feel like The Shining, because it doesn't feel like The Shining at all. The, the movie is not no, The but Shining the, at all either. But the movie feels infinitely closer to The Shining than the book does. To a little bit. And while also... I, see, I actually have to disagree. Well, But I'm talking about Dr. Sleep, the novel, as a continuation of The Shining, the novel. And to me, those were not very clear together. They were kind of like the same characters in completely different situations. But that's what I mean. Precisely. Mm-hmm. This is not The Shining. At all, other than he goes back to the Overlook. Well, no, but tonally, it's it's a lot... What I'm saying is tonally, this is a lot closer to the movie than the book was to the original book. Sure. I can't compare the books. So, um, to me, this tonally was not the same at all. Mm-hmm. The Shining's a horror film. Mm-hmm. It's a horror no, film. You're, and you're right. It, like the, you're, you're definitely right that it's not... It doesn't feel like a direct continuation yeah, to this it. This is not a horror film. No, this to me feels like a lot closer to like a Guillermo del Toro movie. Yes. There is a lot of risk. It's it's bananas, but once you're like, oh, there's magic, okay. Uh it it's not clear at all about the shine like what the shining is in the in the first movie. Oh no, totally. And the and the other than there's scary beings and well, monsters. Well, in the source novel of Dr. Sleep does a better job, does a good job of expanding on that too. But where I was going with that is that uh, it would be, it would have been really easy for Mike Flanagan as a filmmaker to gloss over that. And just because that's what a lot of people do with Stephen King adaptations is that a, a really common thing with Stephen King is that things just happen because they happen. We're humans, we don't understand everything, but we just go with the flow. Mm-hmm. So that's what a lot of the movies do, and a lot of them aren't handled very well. Right. So, so with this one, it would have been really easy for him to gloss over that, but instead he made definitive choices on how things were going to be portrayed and how the rules were going to set up. And I like well, I can't agree with you more on yeah, that. Yeah, and that's what I was saying very specifically in the beginning as well. So I think the movie is just overall really successful. It's heart-wrenching. Um, and I really wasn't sure in the end if, if Danny was going to make it. Yeah, I could have seen them going either way with that. Yeah. But his final moment, I thought, was perfect. It was perfect. Yeah. It was really, really good. Um, now I'm really hankering for more of the story, though, of that, that Dr. Sleep is who, is who he becomes. Yeah. Um, now I'm bummed that we don't get that. Right. Well, I mean, unfortunately, even if they had done a direct adaptation of the book, we probably wouldn't have gotten that anyway because, you know, it was deemed a flop after its first weekend. Doctor, no, no, I'm talking. No, no, uh, I'm talking specific. I'm talking very specifically that now I wish that Danny would have lived, so that way we could have seen. Well, yeah, that's actually what I'm saying too. Is that because the movie flopped? Even if they, even if they had done the same story and the same plot points as the book, uh, this movie wouldn't have gotten a sequel anyway. No, I don't want a sequel. Mm-hmm. I want to see the end of this this movie that we just saw. I want to see him in going back to the hospice and continuing on as Dr. Sleep. Yeah, yeah. The story continues. I don't want a sequel yeah. from this. I don't want a trilogy. I'd rather I'd rather snake bite 
put two holes in my cheek and I have to look at it and say horrible things in the mirror to myself. I don't want a trilogy. I want to see Dan really, just like we say, Abra come into herself. I even would be entertained by the story that the boxes were opened and they weren't so easily closed back. Uh-huh. So they kind of have to close them back together uh-huh. and put these these creatures from the overlook back into the boxes. Mm-hmm. But that he also, just like we see Abra in this moment come to herself, that Danny also gets to become Dr. Sleep. I gotcha. That is very, I'm kind of bummed now that I don't get to see that. I gotcha. In this movie. Mm-hmm. But I still think this is such a good ending. I just now am like, oh, that would yeah. have been awesome. No, I can I can totally see that. And I think that if I had one, for lack of a better term, complaint about it, it would be something similar to that. However, I don't really have any major complaints with this movie. I don't either. And I like I feel like I don't even know what else to talk about. Like solid movie, solid storytelling. Mike Flanagan comes through again. Mm-hmm. With, and this is just... It's a team that works, like, this is a team of filmmakers that you know that you're going to go and probably get something that's really great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I am on board with whatever he does at this point. Yeah. Um, I think he's still doing the next season of Haunting. I think it's going to be Haunting of Bly Manor is what they're working on. What's Bly Manor? I don't know, yeah. but that's just the name of it that I know. Very interesting. Um, so instead of it being a continuation of Hill House, which I was really afraid they were going to do because that had such a great definitive ending too. Yeah, because that's that story's done. Yeah, um, but yeah, they're, uh, it's going to be Haunting of Bly Manor, which I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to something like that. Cool. Um, and I hope he does it because I think he does it great. And whatever movie he does next, I'm going to go see because it's him doing it. It's yeah. kind of like how it, I feel with him now after having so many great experiences with him and I still haven't seen uh, like there's an, one of the first ones uh, Oculus is apparently really good mm-hmm. uh, and then I have I still haven't seen Gerald's Game it's on Netflix uh, just because that was never my favorite Stephen King book um, but uh, I kind of feel with him the same way that I did after uh, Prisoners and Sicario with Denis Villeneuve is that okay he's doing it I'm there yeah yeah Totally. Uh, so all in all, would you recommend people go see this movie? I really do. And I even like, I don't love the movie version. Um, and I still really enjoyed this. Ewan McGregor is, he helms this extremely well. There's a definitive, um, hero's journey mm-hmm. in this. Yeah. It's a pretty classic hero's journey. Yeah, it's a very classic hero's journey. There's, I mean, it's just really good, and there's there's no small characters, and I I just, I would, yes, go see this movie. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Go see this movie. This is one of the stronger go see this movie. It's not Ad Astra. It's not Joker. It's go see this movie. Go see this movie, and also, too, I think people see Stephen King and think gory. They think horror. They think, and I really, like... We are both Stephen King fans, yes. However, this movie does a really good job. This is not horror. This is not gory. There are moments of gore. There are yeah. moments of these things. But this movie is really there to really tell a very interesting story. Yeah, there there is at least one pretty hard moment to watch in this movie. Yeah. Um, and we already mentioned it, the Bradley Trevor scene. Yeah. And the aftermath of that, too. It's, it, yes. It doesn't, it doesn't feel exploitive, though. It doesn't, no. It's not torture porn. Um, no, it has a direct cause that makes it all the more, it makes it worse. Yeah. And it makes you really want these bad people to lose. Yeah. But it's, this isn't an overly gory movie. It's, it's Mm -hmm. not a, I think that even if you are just like a casual horror fan or not even really a horror fan, that I think this is one that you could watch and really get involved in. Because again, to me, this feels like more of a mature fantasy. Yeah. You know, it's definitely closer to a mature fantasy with elements of horror in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, honestly, I can't wait to watch it again. Totally. Yeah. Nice. All right. And I don't think we're even spiraling. We're now. not spiraling. We're we, gonna we're just gonna close we're gonna book in this. Growing up. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I guess with all of that being said, definitely go uh, get to the theaters. Make sure you see Zombieland 2. Um, that will definitely be on streaming. And then Mike Flanagan, all of his stuff definitely goes on streaming. So Yeah, most of his movies, I think, are on Netflix. So yeah. just search them on Netflix. You won't go wrong. Yeah, and so you'll, I know Doctor Sleep will probably be there by the beginning of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you're listening to this in the future... We'd love to know what you think. Yes. In the future, are there more decent Stephen King adaptations? I'd love to know. I would. I would love to know. We we actually had a pretty good run of Stephen King adaptations this year, because uh, even though we both had some problems with it, mm-hmm. it was overall a pretty successful movie. I think. Sure. Uh, this one, I think, is infinitely successful. This one is successful. Pet Cemetery was pretty good too though. It was good. Yeah, I think that I think that this is an easier movie to watch than Pet Cemetery was. Pet Cemetery you've actually got to be a horror fan. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be ready to be in the dirges for Pet Cemetery. Yeah. But, but this one like yeah, I I just can't recommend it. Enough. Yeah. Well, with that being said, I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. We'll see you next time.